Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Back in the year 300 AD, there was a heretical presbyter in the church by the name of Arius. He taught Jesus is not God, Jesus is not eternal, God the Father created God the Son at a point in time, and God the Son isn't God. Well, there was a bishop by the name of Athanasius who knew his Bible and said, of course Jesus is God, Jesus is eternal, he's eternal with the Father and the Spirit, he's not created. A big split in the Christian church occurred. People taking each side. Finally, all the bishops come together in 325 AD in the town of Nicaea, and they come up with the Nicene Creed, reaffirming the Bible's teaching that there is one God in three persons, Jesus is God, Jesus is eternal, and Arius was condemned as a heretic. Let me just quote to you from a very ancient creed called the Athanasian Creed. This is kind of an intellectual look at the Trinity, but here we go. Whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the Catholic faith, universal Christian faith. Whoever does not guard it whole and inviolable will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the deity, the godness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, that's Jesus, uncreated is the Holy Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet there are not three gods, but one God. Whoever wants to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. Well, that's kind of an intellectual look at the Trinity. What I want us to do for this half hour is to take an emotional look at the Trinity. The Apostle Paul is writing Ephesians chapter 1, and he gets kind of emotional, first about the Father, then about the Son, then about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It's all one very long sentence in the Greek. But let's learn what we can about the Holy Trinity today. Take out your Bible, if you would. Turn to this great passage, Ephesians chapter 1, and let's pray first. Father, we pray if there's anyone watching this program who doesn't quite know what the Trinity is, who Jesus is, we pray, God, that you would reveal who you are to that person today. And Lord, deepen our faith now as we get into this tremendous, powerful sentence from the Apostle Paul. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be, that means praised be, speak well of, blessed be, speak well of, praised be, first, 
God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. All right, so Paul, first for a while, will praise the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing he praises the Father for, because he has blessed us in the heavenlies. Paul's whole life was bent on blessing God the Father. Why? Because God the Father, first of all, blessed him. And notice where God the Father blesses us in, in verse 3. He's blessed us in the heavenlies. Do we Christians get blessed on earth by God? Indeed we do. But the real big blessing is coming in the heavenlies. Let me show you a book here. <clears throat> I own this book called Slave Songs of the United States. And these are the songs that the slaves would sing in the South in the early 1800s. Two-thirds of these songs are about heaven. And like, for instance, the tallest tree in paradise, the Christian call it the tree of life, and I hope that trumpet might blow me home to the new Jerusalem. Blow your home, trumpet, Gabriel. Blow louder and louder. I hope that trumpet will blow me home to the new Jerusalem. Just one more. There are so many of them are about heaven. My father, how long? My father, how long? How long poor sinners suffer here? It won't be long. It won't be long. Poor sinners suffer here. We'll soon be free. We'll walk the streets of the golden Jerusalem. How long poor sinner have to suffer here? And song after song after song is about how God one day will bless us in the heavenlies. Another reason Paul blesses God the Father, look at verse 4. Even as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, in love, he, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Second reason Paul praises the Father is he chose us before he made the world. Now, do you believe that? <laughs> Sometimes you ask somebody, well, how did you become a Christian? Well, I chose Christ. I went forward at a, a church meeting, and I prayed, and I accepted Christ. I don't quite think that's the way it works. I mean, you might have done that, and that's all part of the process. But Jesus turns to the disciples at the end of the book of John, John 15, and says, Disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you. And according to this verse, mind-boggling, he chose you before he made the world. That's, that's something that, you know, the doctrine of predestination, that God chose us to be saved before we were born, even before the world was made, that's not something that should make Christians uncomfortable. That's something that should make you, should make you praise God, that out of all the people in the world, he chose to save you, and he chose you not because you were better than somebody, just because of his grace. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. Excuse me, verse 4. In love, he, God the Father, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Here's the next reason Paul praises the Father. Because he predestined us in love to be adopted. I want you to notice the word adopted there. None of us starts out as a child of God. We start out as children of the devil. The Apostle Paul started out as this proud, arrogant, self-righteous 
Pharisee until God knocked him down, blinded him for three days, and then adopted him and brought him to Christ. Do you realize you were that way too? We're all children of the devil and, and evil when we're born even, but God adopts us through Christ. There was a missionary that was taking an offering one day out in the mission field, and one native came and gave the missionary a lot of money to preach the gospel elsewhere. And this missionary said, you know, you're not that wealthy. This is too hard for you. This is too big of a gift. And the native said, ah, you have never been in the darkness, have you? What overwhelmed Paul, what made him emotional about God the Father, is that God adopted him and forgave his sins. Let's look at one more thing that he praises the Father for. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he, God the Father, has blessed us in the Beloved. Another reason Paul praised the Father is because of his glorious grace. There was a king who was a wonderful king. This and the little boy comes to the palace and says, can I talk to the king? The king granted the little boy an audience and the little boy comes into the throne room and, sir, my parents say you're the best king we've ever had, most humble, loving king we've ever known. Why are you such a good king, so different from the others? There was a chest next to the throne. The king said, well, let me show you. He opened the chest and he took out an old, ragged, dirty robe. And he said, little boy, I used to wear this robe. I was a slave and I worked the fields. But then one day, I was made king. And if ever I get to feel proud about who I am, I take out my old robe and I remember who I was. That's what p made Paul emotional about God the Father, that he gave us his grace and he lifted us up through Christ. All right, now we're going to turn and he's going to get emotional about God the Son. Look at verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. All right, the first thing St. Paul praises God the Son for is the forgiveness of sins. I think this is probably what draws most people to the Christian faith. When I am serving communion and people are crying up at the communion table, a lot of that has to do, he's forgiving my sins. Don't make the mistake I made when I was a young Christian. I had two agnostic friends and we'd argue Adam and Eve, we'd argue evolution, and finally somebody pointed out, you know, just talk to them about the forgiveness of sins. So I went both to both of these agnostics one night, and I said, can I just tell you about Jesus, how he died on the cross to pay for your sins so you could be forgiven? That night, one of them became a Christian. <laughs> so what, what Paul praises the Son for is he brings us the forgiveness of our sins. And look at verse 8. The grace of God which he, Christ, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. The second reason Paul praises the Son is because he has revealed to us the mystery of God's will. You ever thought of that? There's so many people in the world that don't have a clue who God is. Christian, you know who God is. God has revealed to you the mystery of his will. And that made Paul emotional for the son. Uh, uh, you, you know, I'll tell you, even people in the church don't know what the mystery of God's, don't know who Jesus is. I was having dinner two nights ago with 15 friends. I, I've known these people for many years. Most of them raised in a really good church. But I said, after dinner, I said, can we do something? I'm just curious. Can we go around the circle? How many of you understood growing up that Jesus is God? Did you get that from your church? Out of the 15 of us, three of us knew growing up that Jesus is God. <laughs> so praise God that if you are a Christian, you understand the mystery of God's will. Now look at verse 10. This is as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Another reason Paul got emotional for God the Son is because of the coming fullness of time. There's coming a time when Jesus makes everything right. It's called the second coming. All cancer will be gone. Your arthritis will be gone. Your marital problems will be gone. Your financial problems will be gone. And he will bring about the fullness of time. One more slave song goes like this. No more rain to wet you, hallelujah, hallelujah. No more rain to wet you, I want to go home. No more sun to burn you, no more whips a cracking. No stormy weather, no tribulation. There's no slavery in the kingdom, no evildoers in the kingdom. There's no rain to wet you. Yes, I want to go home. Those slaves were singing about the fullness of time that Jesus brings at the second coming. One more reason to look at how Paul blesses the Son. Look at verse 11. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There's the next reason Paul praised the Son. Because he brings us, he gives us a purpose in life. Do you know what your purpose in life is? According to that verse, your purpose in life is to live for the praise of God's glory. There's a fairy tale of a king that loved to hear stories. But he was always sad because every story came to an end. So one day he issued a proclamation, anybody who can tell me a story without end, I will give my daughter in marriage and half of the kingdom. But if the story ends, you will lose your head. So a few young men lined up in front of the castle and one went in and told a very long story, but finally it ended and off with his head, happened three or four. Finally, another young man comes into the castle. King, let me tell you the story. There was a huge mountain of sand 
And a little ant came along and moved one grain of sand, and he moved on. And then a second ant came and moved another grain of sand. And then a third ant came and moved another, and then another ant came. And after hours of this, finally the king said, stop, I give up, you can have my daughter and have the kingdom. The point being, if a story doesn't have a point, a purpose, you get sick of it. If your life doesn't have a point, a purpose, a meaning, you get sick of it. But Christian, your life has purpose. Do you know what your purpose is? It's in that verse, to live for the praise of his glory. And I've showed this before, but this is what I have hanging on my wall at home. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's your purpose in life. The Presbyterians have something called the Westminster Catechism, and in it it says this. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's your purpose in life. Finally, Paul now will turn to the Holy Spirit and get kind of emotional about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul blesses the Holy Spirit because we are sealed in him. Now what does that mean? Well, in the ancient Roman Empire, if you wanted to show somebody you owned something, you put a seal on it. So Caesar would put his seal on the letter so people knew that really came from Caesar. Or you'd put your seal on your donkey to mean, I really own this donkey. It, it was a, a, a matter of ownership. Well, the Father owns us because he made us. The Son owns us because he paid for us and got us back. The Holy Spirit owns us because he's within us keeping us with Christ. The Holy Spirit makes ownership. And, and one last thing here, verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, that means the down payment, the earnest money. The, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Last thing, Paul praises the Holy Spirit because he is our guarantee. So let me close by asking you this. Do you have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that you're saved? Uh, Paul writes in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know for sure you're a child of God? I've shared this before, but this happened for me when I was 20 years old. I'm sitting in college leading a Bible study. And after the Bible study, a girl named Pam takes me aside. Tom, are you sure you're saved? And I was offended, and I said, I think so. And she said, no, are you sure? And I said, yes. And she left, and I remember sitting on my dorm bed thinking, did I just lie? Because I don't think I was sure I was saved. And that's when somebody explained grace to me. You're saved by God's grace, by Christ on the cross. You can know for sure you're saved because 1 John 5.13, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's when I got the assurance of the Holy Spirit. So can I just close by asking you to do something? Before you go to bed tonight, would you just take some time to pray? And first of all, 
Take some time to pray to God the Father and say, thank you, God the Father, because you blessed me in the heavenlies. You chose me before the world was made. You predestined me in love to be adopted. You've given me your grace. And then some, take some time, praise the Son. Thank you, Jesus, because you brought me the forgiveness of sins. You revealed to me the mystery of God's will. You are bringing the fullness of time someday, and you've given me a purpose in life. And then praise the Holy Spirit for a while. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've sealed me, and that you're the guarantee that one day I'll inherit the kingdom. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you were saying about that we can pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Do we pray to each person of the Trinity? Yes, you can. Uh, there's directly prayers, you know, most of the prayers in the New Testament are directed to God the Father. Some prayers in the New Testament are directed to God the Son. Because all three persons are God, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, to the Son, to the Father. The norm, Jackie, is you pray to the Father, and then you end your prayer in Jesus' name. But nothing is wrong with praying, you know, Lord Jesus, help. Because when, when Stephen was, was being uh, stoned, he looked up and he saw Jesus and he said, you know, Lord, into your hands I, re I receive my spirit. And so you can pray directly to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the norm seems to be you normally pray to the Father in Jesus' name. What do you ask the Holy Spirit for then? Well, you know, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom because he gives wisdom. Give me strength. He's also called the Comforter in the New Testament. God, Holy Spirit, comfort me about what just happened, that kind of thing. Yeah. So is the Holy Spirit a person, or is he just a force or a power? Yeah, let's explain this. When we say one God and three persons, we don't mean there are, there are three people sitting on three thrones up there. Person in the sense that God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, they're three distinct persons. The Father is not exactly the Holy Spirit, is not exactly the Son. There's, uh, so there, and, and Jackie, I, I preached this at a church in Florida, and a guy came up afterwards and said, well, the Holy Spirit's not a person. He's more like a force, and that's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And I said, no, wait a minute. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't grieve a force. You can only grieve a person. So person in the sense that, that the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father each have a mind, will, emotions. You can grieve them. So that's what we mean by person. Pastor Tom, where in the Bible, or where does the Bible teach the Trinity? Okay, the last words of Jesus on earth, Matthew 28, Disciples, go ye therefore baptizing in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the last words of Jesus on earth are about the Trinity. You can find the Trinity, Jackie, in the first paragraph of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit of God moving over the waters, God said, let there be light. The speaking of God is Jesus, the Son, and God created. That's the Father. So it's throughout the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses at your door will say, but the word Trinity isn't in there, to which you can say, okay, the word isn't. The concept is, call it what you will, one God and three persons. So what do the cults actually believe then? Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses, if you remember at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about the ancient heretic Arius. Arius taught, and the Jehovah's Witnesses today teach, that Jesus is not God, he's not eternal, God the Father created Jesus at a point in time. Mormons is, an, is another cult, they believe in thousands of gods. 
So Jesus is God according to them, but who isn't? You know, they believe in thousands of gods. Okay, you talked about predestination. Yeah. Okay, don't we all have free will, though? I'm going to answer that with a no, Jackie. Uh, this comes from Romans chapter 9. Paul the Apostle writes, So it, our salvation, does not depend upon the man who runs or the man who wills, but on God who has mercy. I, you know, here, here's what I think happened. We lost our free will in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought all of us under, under sin. And now the only way we come to Christ is not by my free will, which doesn't exist. It's when the Holy Spirit... It says uh, in Acts, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things said by Paul. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I, I, believe, uh, I believe in predestination, Jackie. Uh, St. Augustine taught it. Martin Luther taught it. Uh, John Calvin taught it. Why? It's in, it's in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's especially in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Doesn't it seem like predestination seems a little unfair, though? Yeah. Um, what would you say to that? All I can say is what Paul said in Romans chapter 9. You will say to me then, how can God find fault? Because who can resist his will? Paul's response was, who are you to talk back to God? Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the clay what he wants? He owns the clay. And, you know, I wish Paul would maybe have expounded more. Part of me does. But we'll know in heaven how this all fits together. I mean, Jackie, somebody said this. It's like two ropes going up into the clouds. Human accountability and, and predestination. How can God hold me accountable if he's predestined everything? Well, both are true. We don't see below the clouds, but above the clouds they tie together in a knot. We'll understand this in heaven. Okay, when you were talking about verse 7, mm -hmm. what does redemption mean in verse 7? Right. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means he's paid a price to set us free through his blood, which means his sacrificial death. So when we talk about Jesus being our redeemer, it means I was lost in sin. He came and paid my price to set me free and to bring me forgiveness. Okay, if I don't have the guarantee that I'm saved, what should a person do? Yeah, you know, I, I, here, here's the deal, Jackie. Like, like I said, before I was 20 years old, I believed in Christ. I think I would have gone to heaven when I died, but I didn't have the assurance that I was saved. And so here's what you do. <laughs> you claim 1 John 5.13 for your own. He who believes in the Lord Jesus will be saved. And then even as a believer, Jackie, I have to fight doubts that I'm saved. One way I fight doubts is by taking communion. God assures us through Christ's death that we're saved. I, I get assurance of my salvation when I claim the promises of the Bible. So it's, it's, the church is essential for me uh, and knowing that I'm saved. So uh, that's some of the things you do. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. God bless and see you then. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.